Hi, this is Big Talk. Michael Glab here. My guest this week, and I'm really happy about this because it took us a little while to set this up. My guest is awfully gosh darn busy <laughs> these days, Maquiba Reese. Yes. Did I say it right? Yes, you did a lot oh, of practice hooray. to get there. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Maquiba Reese is the newly named, well, in the last six months, mm-hmm. the newly named Monroe County Branch NAACP president. The NAACP, what an historic organization, Maquiba. Yeah, it is. It is. It's absolutely incredible. I'm happy to be here and to, and to serve as the president. Uh, first woman president as well. You've got a hundred other things going on, too, like so many people in this town. You you, you have uh, fingers in all different kinds of dishes. Mm-hmm. Maquiba is also the Associate Director of Diversity Initiatives at the Kelly School of Business Mm -hmm. for Indiana University. Not only that, oh boy, they keep on coming. (laughs) She is the founder and CEO of Tribe Consulting. Uh, Tribeconsulting.net is how you reach uh, that organization. Tribe Consulting is an acronym for TOGETHER. Reconciliation, intersectionality, building an ecosystem. All those things you mash together yeah, yeah. to make things happen. I hope I don't embarrass you, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to brag more about you. If it's you a little mind. bit embarrassing. Oh, my <laughs> golly. 2020, yeah. Maquiba was named City of Bloomington Black Leader of Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. From 2018 to 2022, she served on the Bloomington Board of Public Safety. From 2017 through 2019, she served on the Bloomington Commission on the Status of Women. Uh, as I say... You did your research. You're all over the place, <laughs> Maquiba. You did your research. Well, the most important thing was trying to get how to say your name correctly. <laughs> and there's an interesting story yeah, behind your yeah, name. Yeah. Uh, your mother invented that name yes my mom and my dad so um i'm i would say that i'm a love child my mom and dad had 13 kids together and my aunts on my aunts were like where where's our name because a couple of my sisters they were named after uh different individuals in the community and so my mom and dad decided to name me after all my aunts put together so melinda ma queen esther q u betty b e and then my middle name is ravon for my aunt yvonne so i'm literally all my aunts put together 13, Very intentional. Very Thirteen intentional. kids, and you grew up in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Fort Wayne, Indiana, South Side. Now let me tell you something, Maquiba. I moved to this town in 2009. Okay. And I'll tell you, I was taken aback by the fact that I saw so very few black faces hmm. in the city of Bloomington. Mm-hmm. I come from Chicago. Okay. You ride the train. You ride the bus. You're always with black people mm-hmm. if you're white. Okay? Okay. I came here and I found that, wow, did you see that too? I think for me, my experience was different because I came in through the group scholars program. So mm-hmm. they have we have a summer experience program where there are black, brown um, and people in their intersections. And so um, there was a six-week uh, experience of exposure before you go to your PWI experience, p- predominantly white experience. Huh. And so we built a community through the Group Scholars Program in 2010. 
And then once I got more engaged in the community, that's when you really saw a majority um, white faces, uh, if you want to say. Um, but my experience coming here, it was through the group scholars program. So I was able to uh, feel comfortable um, and get acclimated pretty pretty swiftly. You were mm-hmm. the first of 13 kids to graduate college? No. Or the generation that you came from? Right. Ah. Right. Yeah. So my mom and dad, they definitely encouraged us to have education. It's a very much a focus. And so was sports. Um, so I'm actually one of 12 that went to college. So all but one decided not to go. Five or six actually went to for sports, and then the rest of us was academic, and we're all very successful. Well, we're going to get into more of uh, the family sure. as we go along, but we're also going to talk about some of the big overriding issues that, that confront us still to this day, and isn't it a damn shame? It just, just aggravates me that mm-hmm. the same junk mm-hmm. that I read about in the newspapers when I was 12 years old, back in the in the late 60s, mm-hmm. seems to be still bedeviling us. Yeah, yeah, because there's days. systems that there's systems that were insidiously created to continuously cause systemic oppression. Yeah, and those different systems haven't been cha- challenged, um, or have if they have been challenged, they've been evolved to uh, essentially be the new Jim Crow. And so, if we don't address those systems, then it's going to continue to prevent to be pervasive in our communities. And for goodness sakes, it seems like there are places in the United States where even saying those things mm-hmm. are not allowed in certain schools. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine? Yeah, if you're alluding to um, just Florida's different laws, um, these laws that's trying to take away history and uh, rewrite history, essentially saying that enslavement was op- an option and it wasn't an option, then, yeah, we can definitely have that conversation because that is very much problematic and the root of all evil, honestly. Now, you're an upbeat person. I can just <laughs> tell by looking at you, listening to you, reading about you. How do you maintain a pleasant attitude when you live in a society that actually turns its back on you in many ways? Um, well, what I think we need to really focus on with that is the, this idea that my joy, my existence doesn't pre- isn't predicated on someone else's experience of what they perceive me to be. Uh-huh. Uh, my perception of who I am is my reality. And so therefore, I, I choose to thrive. But if individuals are angry, they are rightfully angry. They deserve to be angry because this um, day and age is... Um, problematic and we got to really look at the root of all root of all evil which is racism um, and it's pervasive and I think that having conversations with white individuals about racism is what will eradicate it black people brown people in our intersections we just need individuals to understand that we're not invisible we are very much visible and it's up to the uh, it's up to majority individuals to see us and acknowledge our existence and so for me I choose to live I choose to live every day um, yeah, I might go to bed angry and be pissed off, but the thing is, is that I choose to be in a space of edu- uh, educator, an educator. Not all Black people want to educate individuals about the qualms, the uh, qualms of the world, and stuff like that. Um, it's our choice; it's our right to do it if we want to or if, if we don't want to. But I choose to lean into it a little bit more, um, just because that, that's my profession. I'm an educator. Um, I teach over in the school of social work, and so I get that opportunity to talk about 
things that are pretty much becoming illegal. Uh, talking about the criminal justice system here in Bloomington, we need to talk about that. We need to talk about the laws and legislation that are openly discriminating against the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, we need to talk about these scoutist rulings of affirmative action. So these conversations need to be handled with care. How did you feel when that decision came down, the affirmative action uh, decision just just the other week. We can definitely talk about the macro level, but we have a lot of stuff micro in Bloomington that we need to discuss. Um, but as it relates to the scoutish ruling, um, I think that there are um, false, uh, a lot of uh, false information in some of the opinions. And I think that it's important for individuals to read the opinions. But I'm going to say very vocally, you need to read the dissent from Justice Katanji Brown Jackson because her dissent clearly articulated the uh, the issues of America that is very pervasive. And if you haven't read it, you need to read it. Everyone needs to read this um, dissent um, and focus in on what she discusses because I think that that's the most important thing to talk about is the dissent from the justices that did not agree with the ruling. Now, Maquiba Reese is the uh, newly named president of the Monroe County Branch NAACP. Brought a couple of pals along I with sure her. did. Can I ask you to introduce them, please? You know what? I'm going to have them introduce themselves because you have to do the work together. So I think we'll have Guy come first, and then we'll have Erica, um, Prosecutor Erica, come. My name is Guy Loftman, and I've been a member of the NAACP Executive Committee for about 25 years and worked on criminal justice the whole time. And I can hardly believe it because I've read the name Guy Loftman a hundred, a thousand times since I arrived in this town in 2009, and gosh darn it, it's the first time we've ever met. <laughs> so hi, Guy. <laughs> hi, Michael. <laughs> Next. Hi, I'm Erica Oliphant. I am the elected prosecuting attorney here in Monroe County. I just started my second term. I uh, took office originally in January of 2019. I am also a member of the local chapter of the NAACP and have been for at least five or six years now. So um, we, my office is partnering with the local chapter of the NAACP on a very exciting uh, research project to look at um, racial and ethnic disparities that are a result of prosecutorial decision-making here locally. And so uh, that's been funded by Arnold Ventures, and it's been a really interesting project. So we have a, a couple more years of that mm -hmm. that we're working on. Yeah. Erica, a few months ago we had on uh, the author and attorney uh, from Louisville, Dan Cannon, who wrote the book uh, Pleading Out. I'm Facebook friends with Dan Cannon. Yeah. We got to know each other a little bit when he ran for Congress a few years ago. I spoke to an assistant prosecutor not long ago, a former assistant prosecutor, who uh, g gave it sort of the brush off, that book. The point he makes is is that uh, the the pleading process leads to a lot of people, especially black people, to take the lesser mm -hmm. of, uh, of a punishment in order to get out of the, the whole court system. Does that ring with you? As a representative of the state of Indiana, we make plea offers, and certainly we do have things that we consider, which is you know the cost, expense of going to trial, and try to come up with an offer that represents what we think is a fair disposition of a case. But 
I, I really don't know what decisions go into that because I've never been on the defense side. But it is ultimately the defendant's right to go to trial if they don't uh, want to take a plea agreement, if they want to stand on their innocence or make the state prove its case. And I like to think that the state would bring forth credible evidence to support its charges. But, you know, it's not lost on me that the process is abused and that it does have its issues and that it is weighted unfairly, that that the state has a lot more power um, and ability than the defendant does. Makweba, the the new president. Yeah. What's the NAACP doing here in Bloomington? Just in case if you don't know what the NAACP is, our mission, the mission of the NAACP is to achieve equity, political rights, and social inclusion by advancing policies and practices that expand human and civil rights, eliminate discrimination, and accelerate the well-being, education, and economic security of black people and all persons of color. And so the National Association of Advancement of Colored People specifically focused on black issues. So 1909 was when it was formed. Um, as it relates to a riot that took place, it got black people and Jews together. And the, it, and the goal was to focus on black issues and to support the, um, the growing concern of the, of the time. And so one of the leaders is um, Ida B. Wells. She's the one who I reference the most is because during her time leading, she was uh, silenced, but she did a lot of work as a black woman of color. W.E.B. Du Bois, uh, Mary White. So it, the list continues. I think we have a, a whole lot. Thurgood Marshall. We're going back to when I was a kid, first learning about the world, reading the newspaper. Thurgood Marshall was sure. always in the newspapers because he was the first black U.S. Supreme Court justice. But even more than that, yeah, he won the case. Brown, Brown versus, versus the Board of Education. Historic. But we, but what we really need to look at is the history of Thurgood Marshall and how he actually was the president of in, uh, the legal redress team. Uh-huh. And that's why we brought Guy, I brought Guy Lofman here because of the legal redress team and the association with the local chapter and how important the legal redress team is, especially focused on disparities within the community with the jailhouse. So I think that's what we need to talk about. We can talk about all these macro level issues, but if we don't understand what's going on in our own community, then what's the point? And so locally, our local issues with the jailhouse and black disparities is um, unfortunate. And I would like Guy to lean in and talk a little bit about it since he's been doing some research for decades. Not only that, uh, but there is talk. uh, Will there be a new jail built? Will there be new courtroom uh, uh, facilities and so forth? So these things are in the air in Bloomington. So, Guy, take it. (laughs) I have uh, studied racial disparity in our in our uh, jail for many years. I recently updated it, and Sheriff Marte was very helpful in getting the data, which mm-hmm. is not always the case. And it's a limited data set, but from January 1st to March 31st, the first three months, we've got 3.9% black in our community, 26.5% blacks in our jail. Does that uh, relate in any way to national figures? Well, yes, the national figures are always comparable, but Monroe County likes to think we're an oasis of freedom and equality and that we're a great place for black people to live. And it's just one of the ways 
I think that systemic racism takes place, oh, that's other people who have those problems. Yeah. And in fact, the problem has gotten worse lately than it was in the previous years we've studied. It used to be uh, about 375%. Now it's almost 700% worth uh, of the disparity. We, we would expect to see uh, seven or eight black people in jail. Instead, we see over 50. Mm -hmm. uh, we now have a smaller jail population. That's only made things worse. Thank God we have a smaller jail population, but it hasn't helped the racial disparity. And we've been trying for years to get this done. And a reason it's so important in the jail is all the problems with jail being filthy and not having medical services and not having proper uh, nutrition and, and opportunity for people to get exercise falls disproportionately on the black population because we're disproportionately populating the jail. Now, we happen to have the prosecutor right here with us. Uh, she's already been introduced. Erica, why does this disparity exist in this county? And what can you do about it? Well, uh, that's, you know, it's a very challenging question to answer because, uh, you know, we make most of our bail decisions that the judges make, the recommendations that are made by the prosecutor are based on the type of offense that's been committed. So whether it's a high level or violent offense, um, whether there's more than one offense pending or whether it's just one, whether someone is violating probation, those kinds of considerations. And so there's a lot of different things at play when it comes into um, why a prosecutor would object or, or argue for someone to remain in jail and why a judge would, in fact, order that. And so I think there are a lot of different things. We are, in fact, as I said, doing this uh, research project to make sure we've identified um, the extent to which prosecutors are influencing this disparity and what we can do to try to improve it. But I think it's going to be important also to look at our community because many, uh, particularly when you're looking at violent offenses or um, nuisance offenses, many of those come to the uh, attention of law enforcement because of a call to 911 or emergency services. And so why, why are these people, why are these crimes coming to the attention of law enforcement, I think is a really important question to look into as well. I think it's important to understand that there's multiple systems that make up the disparities so it's more obvious to see law enforcement which is important for us to restructure right we need to restructure that how we see law what law enforcement does especially as it relates to black people um, what does it mean for our community to not other black people is the most important thing is because if you're calling in and you don't understand another individual and how they navigate and navigate the world and you think that that's a threat, that can actually become harmful. So there's different, I would say, touch points of microaggressions that leads to harmful interaction that could be a harmful interaction with the law enforcement then goes, it's just a system of care that we really have to uh, channel in our community. And I think that our community needs to reconcile the fact that we live close to Martinsville. And Martinsville is the one of the starters of the 
Ku Klux Klan and there's sundown towns. So we got to be very mindful of what we're surrounded by in the rural south of Indiana and understand that, you know, people of color, we're not looking to have pity. We're not looking to have anyone to um, other us. And I'm not speaking for all of us, but I know that we are successful, thriving individuals and we want to take up just as much space as anyone else. And that's something that we really need to lean into as it relates to the disparities within our um, within our community. Guy, you have something to say. This recent data doesn't shed light on it, but a study we did several years ago shed uh, a great deal of light that most of the people, Erica may know current statistics, I don't mean to put her on the spot, but most of the people in the jail were not in because of an initial arrest for, arrest for a crime. Mm-hmm. They're in there because they failed probation uh-huh. or they got on a drug test, they failed a drug test, or they, uh, especially they failed to appear in court. So it's not actually original criminality It's not getting along with the way the system operates that has historically been a major driver of the disparity. Now, let me reintroduce the gang of folks we have here. Uh, This is Big Talk, Michael Glab here. My uh, guest originally was just going to be Maquiba Reese, but she brought in two pals, and I'm happy about that because we're getting a lot of good stuff here. Maquiba Reese, who's the new president of the Monroe County branch of the NAACP. Erica Oliphant is the county prosecutor. Mm-hmm. And Guy Lofman is a known figure around Bloomington and Monroe County for many a moon. And he's here with a lot of facts and figures dealing with, hey, let's just say the unfair way Mm -hmm. this society treats black people, especially in the jail system and the court system. Well, I I think that, here's the the thing, what I I think we, there's a different language that needs to take place. First of all, the individuals here in the room are part of the NAACP. Have we had challenging conversations? A hundred percent. And so the thing is, is that we... In order to really solve these issues, we have to navigate these nuances collectively, even if we don't agree or if we disagree. But the fact is, is that we have a terrible disparity for black people in, in, in the jail cell, in the jail cell period. And so in order to do that, we have to have different angles and we need to talk to each other, whether you agree or disagree. So we need to figure that out collectively. The other thing I want to say is that it's not just the harms of black people i think that white individuals majority white people because this is a majority white town we need they need to get it together y'all need to get it together y'all need to talk to each other and stop you know and i think that we put the onus on the population that's uh being oppressed when it's really the oppressors that we need to focus on but there's a difference between talking about it and, and for be- gosh sakes, doing something about it. Yeah, so reconciliation is really important. Brian Stevenson is someone that I look up to and I um, admire deeply in the work that he does with the Equal Justice System, the Equal Justice Initiative. And he talks a lot about this idea of reconciliation. So what does it really mean to reconcile? And how do we actively reconcile? Um, I know that there are a ton of individuals in the community. Shout out to 
Care Not Cages. Um, shout out to New Leaf, New Life. Uh, Jordan is leading that, the executive director. And then there's a new pastor in town named Tommy that wants to build a coalition so that we can focus on the criminal justice system. So there's a lot of different agency within the community that that want to do the work. And Erica mentioned the Arnold Ventures grants or the Arnold Ventures project. So the Arnold Ventures grant initiative rigorously studies the prosecutor prosecutor office policies and support research into the decision made every day by prosecutors across the United States. And so the goal is for them to focus on the disparities within the prosecutorial process. So here's a full announcement as it relates to what we're doing as a branch, as a community partner. Researchers with Indiana University, Dr. Trakia Henry and Dr. Eric Grauman, uh, have studied the use of prosecutorial discretion for traffic and misdemeanor cases from charging through sentencing, documenting racial and ethnic disparities across decision making, assessing local diversion policy and practices, and providing public-facing data to promote transparency and accountability. And so our goal over the next couple of years, like what Erica mentioned, is to have in-person town halls, focus groups to discuss and implement change to the prosecutorial's office and opportunities to reform um, in our town locally. And just a quick shout out. So Saturday, September 9th, we actually have another a community conversation. This is our second one. If you didn't come to the first one, oh, well for you. Uh, <laughs> this is the second one. The topic will be prosecutors' impact on bail and decisions. And so the goal is to, yeah, we need to inform. Because if you don't know what's going on, then you're going to have this false notion of, well, this is how we're supposed to solve it. In order to solve it, you have to know what's going on first. You have to know the history. Now, where can someone go to get the precise information about this get-together? Sure. The email is the MCB. N-A-A-C-P at gmail.com. I'll repeat that. That's our email address. M-C-B N-A-A-C-P at gmail.com. You can reach out to me. Um, you can address it to Maquiba. But I do want to say and, re- and give a huge shout out to the uh, researchers, which is Dr. Henry and Dr. Gromit. And they're doing incredible work um, to ensure that we um, solve some problems that we have in this community. So get involved. And if you have an if you have a concern, if you have a qualm, I think you need to join, um, join in and let's figure this out. Because the main thing is that um, we can't keep focusing on the oppressed. We need to focus on the oppressors who's con- constantly having these uh, issues. So we have to focus on the oppressors and not the, those that are being oppressed. We've been speaking about problems with Maquiba Reese, with Erica Oliphant, with Guy Loftman. These problems seem mountainous. Mm-hmm. Are you optimistic? You know what? In order to remain sane, you have to be optimistic. And I think that hope is what's keeping me um, focused. And again, I said that Brian Stevenson is one of the individuals I look up to. Uh, One of the things he said in in the interview, he said, those that experience brokenness know what it means to advocate for the broken and hearted. And so my heart is broken. My heart is broken for the systems that we that are put in place. Um, We need to identify white supremacy and, and really lean into the fact that white supremacy, supreme dominance 
is what's causing um, separation and constantly building oppressed systems. And so we have to understand why do why why are people so fascinated with power and money and capitalism and all the things like that? And so my heart is broken. But the thing is, is that in order to remain um, steadfast, I am optimistic in hope and believing that me as an individual that's merciless in the face of injustice, I'm not going to give up. And I think that that's that it's a call for all of us to get it together, especially for our brothers and sisters in our community. Well, we've done it again. We've gone way over our allotted 28 minutes chatting with this week's guests, local NAACP President Maquiba Reese, Monroe County Prosecutor Erica Oliphant, and legal activist Guy Loftman. Join us next week, same time, same station, for part two of our conversation with them. As always, go to WFHB.org for the full archive of Big Talk Editions. Mm-hmm.